O Lord, we're thankful for this quiet hour. We can come apart from the noise and the chaos. We pray that we could still our hearts and hear your still small voice speak to us the words that we need to hear, each one of us. Lord, you know the frailty of your servant. We pray that is your spirit that is able to speak in spite of that weakness. Because as we sing, we need that living water to flow and to meet our deepest needs. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Felt inspired to uh, read the same passage that Brother Doug meditated on this past Wednesday. That's found in 2 Corinthians. Let's read from chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of a life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. speaks of our earthly house of this tabernacle. The word tabernacle is an old English word for a tent, a temporary structure. We think of a tent, something usually pretty flimsy. It's got to be light enough to be portable. It's not very durable, easily damaged, gets tattered over time. And its intent is to just get you through. It's, it's not luxurious. 
It's not something that's substantial. It's something that is meant to for a journey, for a, something that you're going to just use to get through perhaps from A to B. And then you can set it aside because it's served its temporary purpose. We're being told here that your body that you're living in right now is one of those temporary structures subject to all those attributes, flimsy, subject to deterioration, meant for a transient purpose. In one day, it will be set aside. But the good news is that you were intended to be in a body. Your body is not this, you know, maybe as Eastern mysticism, think of this, this anti-spiritual thing, this thing that is just in the way. God intends you to have a body through eternity. And he's preparing a dwelling place, not only the mansion, but a, a body he's prepared for you. A body that's going to be glorious without any of the frailties that you're already experiencing. I mean, some of you may not be experiencing any frailties, but uh, I certainly am feeling those frailties, both of body and mind. I think my tent is showing a little bit of the wear. And the body you're going to receive is going to be free from all that. And so if we're groaning, if we're feeling the strain of living in a fallen world, in a fallen body, as Romans uh, eight also talks about groaning and talks about the corruption that we're all subject to and, and, and that makes us yearn for something better. And that was God's plan. It's the point of why he allowed all this pain to begin with. Because he has something better and he doesn't want you to be satisfied with camping. He doesn't want you to be satisfied with your tent and to try to turn it into something it was never intended for. And when you feel those groans, it's a good thing. You're getting the message. God has something better in store. I remember when Brother Paul came to visit me at the funeral home, he said that uh, he remembered one of the poems or stories that my father was so fond of sharing. And the story of uh, the woman who had a fork in her coffin. And uh, it was intended to just raise the question of, you know, why do you have a fork in your coffin? 
Like, what, what's the meaning of that fork? And he says, and uh, the, the answer was that whenever there was, uh, you have a meal, and there was this extra fork there that, that, that implied there was something good that was the best of the meal was yet to come. The dessert was yet to come. And that's what she wanted to, to share was that the best is yet to come. And your best by God's design is yet to come. That mortality, think of these words, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. That mortality might be swallowed up of life. You're mortal. What does that mean? It means you live and then you die. You're not going to live forever. But it's only your tent, your tabernacle, that's going to decay. God's in intent is that that's swallowed up totally. Once, once it's swallowed up, you won't even know it was there. You won't miss it. Once you arrive at your destination at the glorious mansion in the glorious incorruptible body that he has prepared for you, you won't miss your mortal existence. People are grasping their mortal existence. They're trying to eke out every additional, uh, you know, squeeze out life. Let's pay money for all kinds of health and make ourselves look younger and pretend like we're younger and drive cars that make us think we're younger and do activities that make us feel like, you know, we're never going to die. This mortal existence is not where it's at. It will be forgotten in the joy, in the life that God has planned. Not mortal existence but life eternal life abundant life he that hath wrought us god has designed you for something more you feel it you know it within yourself he has wrought he has made he has formed he has purposed you for this self-same thing for life not for mortality and you know there's something wrong when you face mortality. It's because God has designed you. He's wrought you for more. And he's given you something that you can have as an anchor, as something, as, a, as an assurance that you know this isn't all there is. And you shouldn't try to make your tent some sort of glamping experience where this is all you're going to get. He's given you, the old English word here is earnest. It's a down payment. He's given you his very presence in the form of the Holy Spirit that you know that you're his child. And you have something more to look forward to. And given God in you, you can now be confident, always confident, Knowing 
you know that you're here in this body. And because you're in a fallen world and a fallen body, there's a separation. You're not with the Lord yet. You have his presence in you, but you're not in his presence in that permanent swallowed up by life sense. There's that more, that best that is yet to come. And that's why right now you're walking by faith, not by sight. You don't see it. And lots of times you might be mocked. Thinking of, uh, you know, our dear brother, one of our dear brothers whose, whose friends mocked him when he became a Christian. Look at your pitiful existence. You're not making money. And now those same people that mocked him only have money and are facing death's door, and it is really tough. We walk by faith because we know by faith. We have his spirit in us. We know what is enduringly true. And so we don't hang on to things we cannot keep to prevent us from holding on to the things we cannot lose. And that's why we can be confident, again the word confident, and willing rather, we, we can actually choose to be absent from the body in order to be present with the Lord. My father was very willing. He expressed a longing to be absent from the body so that he could finally be present with the Lord. This was very true for him. So where is he now? Many ask questions. I've, I've never faced death so personal and so up close and watched the last breaths, watched them wrap up a shell a tent after the spirit is gone and take it out the door. That's, my poor mother saw that by the dozens a day, but I've never seen that. Where is he now? Here we can see a promise. A promise that says he's absent from his body. That body was not him. That body no longer contained him. That tent was empty. It could be collapsed and put away. And he is with the Lord. He's not yet received that final body. We read in a previous book, 1 Corinthians 15, gives us very detailed understanding of, of resurrection, that there is coming a day, and it's a point in time, so it hasn't happened yet. Paul was looking forward to that day, and he's already referenced people that had passed away in 1 Corinthians 11, so he's saying there's a time, there's going to be a trumpet sound, the, 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 the um, angel is going to blow the trumpet, and we will in an instant, together, at that moment, be resurrected, be raised up 
into new bodies, and he describes how these bodies are different than our corruptible tent bodies. Um, they're, they're, uh, there's going to be incorruption. It's sown in weakness, raised in power, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, um, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. And so he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. This, this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Mortality shall be swallowed up by life. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up, there it is again, swallowed up in victory. But that moment, that point in time hasn't happened yet. Now, there's a lot I don't understand, a lot of mysteries here. Does time flow differently for those that have left their bodies? Is that the next thing he's aware of? Well, if you're not ready, we heard this morning of the terror of the Lord. Uh, we read, and it related to the message this morning, if you're not ready, that will not be the next thing you're aware of. How do I know that? There's a lot of misconceptions about heaven and hell. Probably the most common words used <clears throat> to describe Christian belief, and yet both of them mistaken. So hell is misunderstood as it's translated in the, in the King James. Uh, two very different Greek words are translated that, by that. I remember we had to study this in depth with Brother Doug. At one point, there was someone who was trying to propagate a false belief that um, hell is not forever, uh, that it's just, you know, a phase you go through, and then everybody gets to go to heaven. But Jesus taught very specifically, so we're not talking about anyone else, but even the words of our Lord, the one who designed it all. There's a place, the Greek word was Gehenna, where there is no end to the burning torment. The worm doesn't die. He was the one that everyone respects as being full of grace, was also full of truth. And that truth contained that very fearful fact. But there's another word, Hades, that's also translated hell in the, in the New Testament. And Hades seems to be the place that you go until the final judgment. And how do we know that is because there's this very confusing word, uh, verse in, in Revelations chapter uh, 20, where hell is emptied into the lake of fire. So that's Hades, the temporary resting place that gets put into the permanent place of torment. And what really confused me at the time as I read this is in Luke chapter 16, where we get the story about the Lazarus, the poor man, uh, the beggar, and the rich man, um, and they both die. Uh, Lazarus is in the bosom 
of Abraham, and we follow the story with the rich man who is in hell, and the word there is Hades. I was expecting Gehenna, because it's clearly a place of torment. It's a place where there's burning. He's begging for, for an instant of relief that maybe someone dipped their finger in water and cool his tongue for an instant. He was begging for even that from God. That's what he wasted, his, his opportunity to beg for something, for just cool my tongue for a second. So it was not a pleasant place to be. And yet this was not even yet the lake of fire. And this was just the waiting room. This was Hades. So already at that point of death, before the final judgment, there was a separation where in separate waiting rooms, if you will, and that those who are not ready, who are not prepared, they are going to be in torment already. And what about those who are prepared, those who are ready, what happens to them? Now, Scripture is not as clear about that. We see Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham. We don't know how conscience he does not seem to be aware of the torment of, um, uh, of the rich man, which makes sense. You probably wouldn't be enjoying heaven if you had that window into hell. Um, in a, yeah, I shouldn't be using the word heaven. I just said that was a misnomer because heaven is never referenced. At least hell is translated two confusing words. Heaven is never used to describe the, what everyone thinks heaven is. Instead, we have, um, I think Revelations is pretty clear in the final four chapters. There's a lot there about the the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven vials, the seven thunders, we don't even know what they were, that we cannot know with precision. Uh, there's enough there to make us know that this world is going for a rough ride and there's going to be a lot of terrible things that are going to happen. But then when it comes to an end and, and Jesus pierces through the sky, I think there's not a lot of ambiguity. There's not a lot of interpretation and spiritualization of what's going to happen when Jesus comes and ends the kingdom of this world and um, sets up a thousand-year reign on this planet. And that's when the first resurrection is going to happen. So we know that's when this trumpet's going to blow. That's when the dead are going to get new bodies, glorious bodies, incorruptible bodies. Are gonna, it's going to happen when that trumpet blows. And that's when we will rise from the grave. How does that work? Does God care about the individual molecules that have moved on in that period of time? I don't understand. But yet we know that just like he took the dust of the earth to form Adam, he is going to take dirt of this planet and he's going to fashion new bodies, glorious, incorruptible bodies that will not be subject to, 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 to tiredness, to sickness, to, to any of the weakness 
that we currently, corruption that we currently are subject to. And those bodies are going to meet him in the air as he comes in and establishes his reign. That will be the first resurrection. Now, between that point of when we leave our tent and when we get those new bodies, we have very little insight. We know that uh, there's comfort as Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham. We know, you know some, some think that you know, time flows differently and you'll wake up in the, that new body, perhaps. This passage we just read seems to indicate that being unbodied is not ever the intent that we become unclothed. That, our, that God has made us to be bodied. And we're going to go from this temporary, corruptible body to an, a glorious, eternal body. But yet we see one glimpse in Revelations chapter 6 on the, in the uh, fifth seal where under the altar are the souls of those who have suffered. And they're aware of the passage of time. And yet they are not yet bodied. So that would indicate some awareness. But again, I won't want to read too much into that. What we do know is we're present with the Lord. That we know. We have that promise. We can be confident. And we do know that we will receive these glorious resurrection bodies. And we do know that not only will there be a thousand years of us reigning in a restored earth, but that God will make a new heaven and new earth, and we won't be living in the new heavens, we'll be living on this new earth. And what we describe as heaven is going to be this incredible city that's going to come down from heaven onto this new earth and is going to be beyond um, our ability to understand and made glorious. And I love the hymn 331 that, that, that tells us, you know, what the songwriter was looking forward to most as he gets to the homeland. Um, and what more than all there can pleasure afford is ever to dwell in the sight of my Lord. And that's enough. I don't need to know the processes and descriptions. It's enough that we will be ever in the presence of the Lord.